What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed. Welcome to Wealth Managed. I'm Michael Finca. I'm a professor of wealth management at the American College. And I'm David Blanchett, head of retirement research at PGM. And we're talking here today with George Nichols. George is the president of the American College and also an expert in insurance regulation and the insurance industry in general. And today, David, we have, I think, a very hot topic that we're going to be discussing, and that is some changes that we've seen happening in the insurance industry. Hey, George, so let's let's cut right to it. So there's been a, a lot of growth in private equity interests and assets in the insurance space. Can you give us your hot take about what's happening, what it means, all of that? I think it's actually the hottest emerging issue for the industry and for regulators. Obviously, what is happening is a lot of, of PE firms are coming in. They're chasing assets in order to get yield. And you've got companies that are dealing with low interest rate environment and trying to figure out where they can get yield or get some return. And this is just a perfect match. And you got money, you want to bring it in, and you do that. And what does that mean from, from a company perspective? What does that mean from a regulatory perspective? So let me start with the regulatory perspective. I will tell you that even in my time as a regulator, which were years ago, when I had a company that was in trouble or I had a company that was struggling to grow and someone wanted to come in to buy them and I knew they had more capital, we were going to take that deal. And you can go back 15, 20 years and you'll see that private equity firms were coming into the business, not like they are today, but they were coming into the business. And what they're looking at is all that capital sitting there, the reserves and all the other money. And they're like, man, this is an asset play. I can invest that money. I'm smarter at it than what most insurance companies are, and I can get a better return. And now, again, there are limits, there are baskets of investments, but they can be a little bit more riskier for the portion that they are using for some of the traditional investments that they are, are making, again, in this goal of chasing yield. For the regulator, that's scary because this is not the type of investments they've looked at from a historical perspective. In some ways, they believe it is a little bit more riskier on behalf of the client. So they got to worry about that. They got to worry about the solvency regulation. So I think that's a concern. And so for the regulator, very, very concerned, but they're seeing more and more of them come in and it's changing the game. On the insurance side, they're running the same problem. They got low interest rate environment. They got to go chase yield as well. So now you're getting traditional life insurance companies that have always been conservative on investments. And they're saying, hmm, do I need to go further out on the risk curve to compete? And that is scary because they do not have the thought process that a PE firm has had in terms of what its business proposition is. That puts more risk on them. So now not only do I have to worry about PE firms and the risk they're taking with the assets, I've got my traditional insurers that are taking more risk and their regulators are going to worry about them as well. That puts the whole system in play. And I think regulators are really, really worried about how they're going to effectively manage this because it seems like every month we're reading about some company offloading a portion of its business and a PE firm buying it. So this is really something that I think is concerning. I've asked our board, which has a number of life insurance executives, tell us what the big trends are for the future that we have to think about in the life insurance space. Every one of them said the number one is this issue of PE firms coming into the business and how it's changing the business and how they look at it and how regulators are forced to look at it. 
George, it might be helpful. Like, what does it mean if an insurance company sells assets to a PE firm? Are they still liable? Like, how does that transfer work? What does it mean for the just underlying individuals that have an insurance policy with that company? So for the client first, it should be invisible to them. They have the same policy, the same guarantees, all that is still there. However, the company that you bought it from that you thought was safe and sound and conservative investors may not necessarily be that tomorrow. They may be a firm that actually says, I want to take a little bit more risk in terms of the investments that support your policy. And they should be concerned. And again, let's trust the regulator that they're doing oversight, but it is not the same company that you bought from. And now that the assets that are supporting your policy probably are being invested, you know, a little bit more than they were historically. If that company were to go under, the same thing happens. The guarantee fund system is going to step in. They're going to make sure that your policy is enforced. All that's still going to work exactly the way it is. But from a regulatory perspective, you've got to understand that the biggest concern I think regulators have when I've talked to them about this is the old days, if you had an insolvency or a company that went under in the life insurance space, it was probably because they had bad liabilities. Okay, so it's a liability, which is usually a slow drain. It takes a while for it to happen. But when it does happen, we have to do something. This actually switches it to an asset side where the problem is. So you're taking the liabilities, you use that money, you're chasing yield. And if your assets go down, they go down quicker. They go down faster. You get a more quicker run on the bank. And now that means that the ability for the regulatory process to come in place, it has to speed up. And when you speed up and you do fire sales and some of that other stuff, that just creates multiple problems for the consumer and for the regulator. So regulators are worried about that this could be a quicker downturn for companies than traditionally it would be under a historical structure. You know, I think one of the things that people worry about is that these private equity firms, not only are they perhaps better at investing, but they're also better at understanding some of the potential loopholes of the risk-based capital rules. In other words, they're crowding into assets that allow them to take a greater amount of total risk in their general account portfolio than another insurance company that leverages up that risk. And as you said before, if there is a whole class of bond assets that all at once decides to have a really bad week, that could have a big impact on the solvency of those insurance companies that have loaded up on those products. And there is actually some evidence from the research that those rules, those risk-based capital rules are causing this crowding into the riskiest types of bond products that are allowed according to the rules. So in other words, it becomes really a game of how to maximize the amount of risk under the RBC rules. And obviously private equity firms are really good at that kind of stuff. And one of the, the reasons why people are getting concerned about this is because of the general, the Bermuda strategy, moving reinsurance to Bermuda. Tell us a little bit about how this works. And this is not a new problem, is it? Uh, this has been something that's been going on for a while. Yeah, it, it is not a new problem. And Michael, I'm going to say the same thing I said earlier. You're beginning to sound like a regulator. Uh, but I, And I think you raised all the key points that, that I would say, but it isn't new. We've seen insurance companies, not P&E firm, we've seen insurance companies that have often tried to find ways to leverage their returns and you know whether they're going to these offshore reinsurers in order to change the, the capital view 
in order for them to do something else. It, it, it is nerve wracking. And, you know, where at one point I thought that the regulatory community was doing a better job of managing it, they're not. You know, there's still ways for you to do that. And as you say, the PE firms are even better at it than some of the companies that have traditionally looked at offshore reinsurers. So I think that is nerve wracking from a regulatory perspective. Here's where I think, you know, as we've talked about this arbitrage, the thing that I think is concerning is regulators saying, well, I still want companies to do business in my state. So I'm willing to work with you as you take more risk, but I want you to provide more information. It may or may not be information that I fully understand, but at least I can say that, you know, you're communicating with me as I'm allowing you to be more advanced. I won't say risky. I'll say advanced in your investment strategy. So there are, there are multiple downsides of this. I think their structure, the regulatory structure will capture it, but I do worry sometimes about some, some regulators who may be focused on a political answer, i.e. we have a good economic development state, you can do business here, we're easy to do business with, and that you may see them allowing more of this to occur. And then that's where I think we come back into this circle of, now I want the pressure from the other regulators, I want the pressure from the NEIC on that, I want the pressure from the insurance. That's these things that I'm saying that I think are pluses to why the system has worked. But I think you've raised all the points. It's still happening. I am worried about it. I think regulators are worried about it. And as long as regulators do the right thing, ultimately we'll get through that. But it is something that I, I do worry about. Some will allow it based on just saying, just give me more information and we're good. And that's not, to me, that's just not enough. So like, what can the consumer do? They can't do anything, right? So if you buy a policy from an insurance company, they I mean, that's, that's it, right? That's exactly right. From a consumer standpoint, they won't know until until bad things happen. That's the unfortunate thing. I know you raised the issue about there are some advisors out there that think less of the insurance industry and think it's unsafe. And in their mind, they may be making arguments about, you know, I can't in good conscience put my client in one of these products. I think your assessment in some of our prior conversations is the right one. I think there are other motives around that. But from a consumer standpoint, even if all of this unraveled, again, there is a process and a structure in place for them to be protected. That's the whole beauty of, of the system. But the consumer typically doesn't know. Their policy is still going to have the, typically the company's name on it that they bought it from. That's just absorbed in the purchase when the deal was done. And, you know, and hopefully they'll get all the full benefits that they expected. But on the other side of this, I think regulators have to do a better job and step in and address these particular issues so that you aren't putting them ultimately at risk down the road. That's a good place to take a break. We'll be right back. Get best-in-class preparation for your exam with our CFP Certification Education Program. Start your journey toward this valued designation at theamericancollege.edu slash CFP. Deliver financial planning for every person and every need through our Chartered Financial Consultant Education Program. Find the tools and skills you need at theamericancollege.edu slash chfc. All right, we'll continue where we left off with George. 
David and I have done some research recently that has actually shown an upside of this increased competition in the insurance world. And that is that a lot of insurance companies have had to up their game a little bit. They have to provide more attractive pricing or higher guarantees as a way of competing. I mean, the downside risk is that things could get potentially lean in the future when they have to pay some of those obligations, but it has kept the insurance industry as a whole honest in terms of pricing. Michael, I think you're right. It has kept in mind in terms of pricing. But, you know, and I have to I have to admit my bias of being, when I was a regulator, I would say I was moderate conservative in my approach. And the thing is, what you're saying is, I felt like was going too far down the risk curve. I get uncomfortable if I am discussing with a, a traditional insurer that yes, shit up their game, who wants to be just like a PE firm. You know, you got to help me understand who's on your team that's been doing this for years and knows more about it. And a lot of companies, you know, they're just taking this risk on their own. And I think that's a bad situation. So you're up in your game, but really upping your game is actually putting more risk on you and your policy. And, and that's that's the downside of this. Now, how do you find a way to modulate that? I don't know. I think that's the tough one because typically what you're finding is there's a group of regulators saying, nope, let's not do it. And there's a group of regulators saying, no, nope, I'm really open to it, but let's just do it in a, in a very disciplined approach. I've not found all of that discipline. You know, when I look at some of these deals, I get, I really do get nervous. And I, I think that the other thing that you have to recognize in this is we're sitting here talking about the investment decisions chasing yield, how we're managing capital. And that's an internal issue for the company. But what's happening is that once they get comfortable with that, whether they're good at it or not, you're finding that seep into the products that they're offering to clients. Now you're getting in a situation where that you're getting more products in the life insurance space that somehow or another may be tied to the market. And when they're tied to the market, they're just as optimistic on what they're proposing to a policyholder as they are of what they're expecting in their returns. And that's a really scary proposition is that now that philosophy is not just upping my game and, and doing a better job of managing capital. It's actually I'm now pushing that out. And now it's going to the policyholder where I'm getting more capital in order for me to do that. That's where I think regulators are going to have to really look and pay attention to how this is being played out for consumers. You know, somebody listening to this might be curious, like, you know, on net, do you think this is going to be a good thing or a bad thing for consumers? Oh man, David, that's probably the, that's a tough question. I don't even know if I want to try to answer it. You know, I mean, I guess if the market stays the way it is for another 10 or 15, 20 years, I guess everybody will be okay. I'm not optimistic of that. My concern, honestly, I, I, and again, this is a guy who's, who's a moderate conservative in, in, in this approach and even the regulation. I think there's enough protections and safeties in the system that consumers will be okay regardless of what plays out. But I do believe we're going to push ourselves closer to bad things playing out in some areas. And net, net, the question really is not so much, is it good or bad? Am I at more risk? And the answer to me is yes. Yeah, I think from my perspective, as a way of summing up what we've talked about today, is that there is some evidence that there's some risk taking going on among insurance companies that some consumers might not be entirely comfortable with. So paying attention to the credit quality of the insurance company is important. It's better to play with a partner who's a little bit nicer, maybe, that is going to, if you're risk averse, 
especially if those, there's long-term obligations, paying attention to credit quality matters. You might get a better deal with an insurance company who doesn't have the same level of credit quality, but at least you're gonna be able to sleep at night. Insurance is all about protection anyway. So paying attention to the likelihood that the insurance company is not gonna experience some kind of financial distress matters to consumer. So be aware, I think if you're an advi financial advisor, pay attention to the company that you're buying an insurance product from and be willing to take risk when it's appropriate. Michael, from my perspective, I think you've summed it up excellent. And I'm glad that you and David are sharing these perspectives with, with your listeners. This is so important, but also you want them to be able to advise their clients on the right things to do. This is Chris, the producer of the podcast. And I'm just going to frame the question a little differently. Who suffers from this, George? I mean, if private equity's role is to do what it does to extract value and do well for its shareholders, et cetera, who's really suffering here? Is it the old time structure of the life insurance industry that's at threat here? Because it doesn't sound like the consumer is going to be hurt here. I think it's hard to say who suffers because, again, if it all turns out fine, no one. But at the end of the day, I think that you're probably right in your question that the, the greater challenge will be on the traditional insurer because I'm either good at this or I'm bad at this. And if I'm good at this, I'm probably going to start moving away from my regular knitting. And if I'm bad at this, I'm probably have to sell my knitting. So Chris, I have a probably more passionate response. I think the one who suffers is definitely the insurance companies that have decided to take less risk with their investments, because that means that they're earning less money on their insurance products because they can't generate the same upside return on their investment portfolio. But it also means that with these state guarantee funds, they may have to take over some of these liabilities from the perspective of a private equity firm, they actually maximize expected firm value by taking greater risk, but someone else holds the downside and the downside is held by some of those other insurance companies. And, you know, I think Michael raises a good point. When, when I think about the long-term nature of the risk, yeah, that's a short-term hurt by not maximizing all my returns, but it's still a long-term gain. You know, we're not talking about a 5, 10, 15. I mean, some of these, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 year claims that we're talking about and your decision to take on more risk or be more conservative now, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things that still got to play out down the road before ultimately we're going to know the game and what this looks like. But I, but I don't necessarily disagree with what Michael said. I'm just saying that, you know, there's nothing wrong with traditional insurance. There's nothing wrong with conservative investment. When you're asking me, what is my long-term risk associated with that? And, and that's what life insurance is. The thing about it is that most companies that sell life and annuities, those are actually natural hedges. You know, if you think about your business. And so now the problem is, yeah, I got to figure out where I can get a good return. But, you know, there are things out there that still give you a decent return for what your liabilities are. The question is, do I want more? And that then gets into a whole set of other questions like, is it better to be a mutual or is it better to be a publicly traded company? Because if I'm a mutual, I can take a much longer term perspective of that because I'm not worried about what my stock price is. George, it sounds like Michael has a pretty bright future as a regulator, right? You know, I am, uh, I'm going out to the uh, National Association of Insurance Commissioners winter meeting in another week or so out in San Diego. And I'm going to mention if there's any openings, I got a guy back at the college that is willing to do two jobs. He has to stay at the college. I'm not letting him get away. And then he can do this part-time consulting for the regulator. 
George, I, I so want to move to Iowa. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, thank you for being with us today, George. Thank you, Michael. I'm Michael Finca. Thank you for joining us for the Wealth Managed Podcast. I'm David Blanchett. See you later. For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services. 